You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with the text and the sermon for this morning, I would invite you to open your Bibles, first of all, to Isaiah chapter 58. We'll read the verses 6 through 14. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see him naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointing finger and malice talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your your, your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to rise on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then if you would also turn to the New Testament, James chapter 1. We'll read the verses 22 through 27. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, He will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Our text this morning is Isaiah chapter 56, verses 1 and 2. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when things are are wrong, when there's a perversion of justice, 
when things aren't right, what are you going to do? What are you going to do in the face of injustice? What are you going to do when there's abuse of power? When there's an undermining of proper order? How are you going to respond? How should you respond? A famous picture of decisive action in the face of injustice, you've probably seen this picture, is that of the lone, unknown man standing in the middle of Tiananmen Square, staring down four tanks of the People's Liberation Army. Although the picture wasn't taken at the time of the Tiananmen Square massacre, but rather a few months earlier, yet it stands as one man's response to the injustice that he sees going on. One's man staring down the dictatorial control displayed, illustrated in those who are driving those massive tanks. Another well-known example, this one biblical, of the shepherd boy David standing up to the giant Goliath, the man who is blaspheming God's name, who is cursing the Israelites. He stares him down and he embeds a stone in his skull. Things weren't right. And David, by trusting in the Lord, pursued justice. Well, for the people who received originally our text this morning, the people who would have heard Isaiah, the people who would have listened to Isaiah's prophecy, the situation that they faced might not have seemed all that different from the one that that David faced and what that unknown man in Tiananmen Square faced. For they were in a situation that was both overwhelming and on a certain level, wrong. Isaiah was was writing to people in his own time. Isaiah wrote before the Babylonian exile, before the people of Judah would be taken off into exile in Babylon. And so he writes these words to people who will be exiled. He writes it for them. He also writes it for the people who will be in exile, who will be already powerless against the Babylonians, living in exile, seeing what is going on around them, knowing that the Lord's worship is not being carried out here and wondering, what are we going to do? And so the situation was overwhelming for those who would have heard or immediately read Isaiah's prophecy and those who would have read it later on. From a human perspective, it was hopeless and helpless. That Babylonian juggernaut for those earlier, was coming. And for those later, had already come, and they were powerless against it. It was even God's judgment against themselves for their sins. There was no changing it. Exile was a reality. situation was overwhelming, and it was on a certain level wrong. Now, it wasn't wrong in the sense that these people who were reading this prophecy, who were receiving it, didn't deserve exile. They did. They deserved God's judgment. They had sinned against the Lord. They had not obeyed God's command. They had not worshipped the Lord alone. And so they deserved God's judgment. 
But yet the whole situation was wrong. It was upside down. It was not right in the sense that, that these were God's people. These were the people who were supposed to honor Him, who were supposed to adore Him, who were supposed to live in His land, the land that He had given to them, and be blessed. And so the question for these people in that situation was, what are we going to do? What are we going to do right here and right now? What are you going to do when you stare down those tanks of injustice? And what are you going to do if those tanks of injustice are of your own making? Have you ever had that question? you ever felt overwhelmed by sin, by the depravity, by that, the tide of sin that's flowing over our world and, and the waves of misery that follow close behind? Have you ever been overwhelmed by your own sin? I got myself into this situation. I deserve it. But what am I going to do? Now, I'm not just being pessimistic here, trying to just conjure up a negative picture so that I can bring the good news. This is reality. Let's be realistic. There's a lot of junk going on in this world. We experience a lot of misery in our lives. Things on the surface don't really seem to be getting any better. What kind of world are Chloe and Sophia and Samuel going to grow up in? What's the solution to injustice and unrighteousness? And where is it going to come from? Well, the prophet Isaiah comes with a word of the Lord. He knows where the solution is going to come from. And he gives a message to God's people in troubled times about what to do. What do we do? And so our theme this morning is that this is God's message, uh, mission statement for His people in troubled times. Do right. Do right where you are. If you're in the land of Israel facing exile, if you're in the land of Babylon having been exiled, if you're living in a crooked and depraved generation, do right where you are. And we'll see that doing right includes true religion in the light of the coming salvation and true worship in the light of the present salvation. So first, true religion in the light of the coming salvation, doing right by doing true religion. So what would you do if you were in this crisis situation? Now we need to consider something right off the start. We need to consider what's the place of doing here with respect to this coming salvation. Verse Chapter 56, verse 1, Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness is soon to be revealed. Well, you might think that this is saying you need to do right, you need to maintain justice, and then salvation will come. That is, you need to do right, and then you're going to force God's hand. He's going to have to save you. But that's not actually what it's saying there. Rather, what's going on is that God is showing us what will happen. He's revealing it to us. He's tipping His hand, if you want to put it that way. He shows us what He's going to do. 
And then he gives us directions in light of that. God's saying, I'm going to win. You just need to follow my lead. Maintain true religion. Religion, in a sense, is about doing. It's about doing. Religion is the outworking of what you believe. Now, in some Christian circles, this word has really fallen on hard times. I once saw a Christian magazine with a a popular Christian leader from southern Ontario, where I came from, on the front, and it said in big letters, God hates religion. God hates religion. Well, whatever was meant by that, I could never get out of my head, James chapter 1, verse 27, religion that our Father accepts. God hates religion? God accepts as religion looking after orphans and widows in their distress and from keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. Yes, it's true that God hates merely formal, heartless, Christless religion. God hates religion if it's only doing. But pure, grace-motivated, responsive, thankful religion, God finds that acceptable. He wants us to do. He wants us to do. He wants us to carry out His doing like good and faithful servants. And what does He want us to do? He wants us to do what is right. Maintain justice. Now what does that mean? How do we know what's right? Well, maintain justice. That word justice can be also used simply to describe God's commandments. You could describe God's commandments given especially in the first five books of the Bible and all that flow from them as God's justice. So maintain God's justice is do what God has commanded. Do what is right. So the Israelites were to, were to keep things right, were to do right, because God's salvation and His, the revelation of His righteousness is at hand. That is, the Israelites were to keep things right, because a time was coming when God was going to set things right in the world. Things were upside down. The Babylonians are, are in charge. The Israelites aren't worshiping God. It's all wrong. God's name is not being honored. But there will come a time when God will set things right. You see, things are messed up and and backwards for the Israelites on two levels. For one, they're not experiencing the blessings of the covenant. They're not experiencing the blessings of living with God. We've already said that Isaiah's prophecy looks forward to, to the time when they would be removed from the land of Israel and from the blessings of living in that land. But you realize that that's all upside down. That was the promised land. That was the land that God had promised to Abraham, where he would set his name, where he would be worshipped and adored. The Israelites weren't supposed to be exiled from there. They were supposed to live there in harmony with God. And so God promised that he would return them to that land. God promised that He would return them to the promised land and He would make things right. 
But yet you realize that simply returning them to the promised land wasn't going to make things right in the long run. Their sinful hearts and their unfettered spirits would continually wander away from God's command. God could bless them, but there was a deeper problem for the Israelites. You see that with them. Every time they're redeemed, they stray. And they need to be redeemed again. And so you see the second and the deeper problem that the Israelites were facing. Something was upside down in the world, yes. But it started in their own hearts. They were a wicked and rebellious people. They were sinners. They were unable to to fully, completely reconcile themselves to God. And they were without a king who could order their lives properly, who would keep them in the way of righteousness. And so the salvation and the display of righteousness that Isaiah talks about here could only be fulfilled in a final and complete victory over sin and unrighteousness and injustice and the powers of evil. God's people could only rest in their victory if their hearts were cleansed and conformed and constrained to a Savior and to His work. It would take 700 years after the time of Isaiah, but that promised salvation would come. God displayed His righteousness clearly. His his desire to set things right by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to bear the burden of our sins on the cross. And He gave us the Spirit to to hook up our hearts with Christ so that we wouldn't wander away from Him. Jesus Christ was the man of justice. If you you want a picture of God's justice, look to Jesus Christ. He was completely obedient to the law of God, to the justice of God. And He showed God's justice to all that He came in contact with. He fed the hungry. He cared for the sick. He helped the poor. For those who were downtrodden and oppressed, Jesus Christ lift them up. And then in the ultimate display of justice, He submitted Himself to God's justice against our sins by going to death, by suffering and dying so that we could be put right with God. And so who is this prophecy for? Who is to maintain justice and do what is right? It's all those, brothers and sisters. It's all of us who live in the light of the work of Jesus Christ. Who see in Him the ultimate display of God's justice. And who are being transformed and renewed to become like Him. To do justice in our lives. What Isaiah is saying is this. Don't compromise on your obedience to God. Don't pervert justice now because God is going to set things right. Don't pervert justice because you'll betray what you actually think about that coming salvation. Think about it. If you truly believe in what God has done in Jesus Christ, then why would you disobey His commands now? 
Why would you compromise on justice and righteousness today? Why would you disobey God's law given to you for your own good, to walk in obedience, to walk in His blessing? If Jesus Christ has truly come to right what is wrong with the world as the ultimate and final demonstration of God's righteousness, then why would you continue in unrighteousness? You're basically rejecting what God has done. If you're coming to church every Sunday, but throughout the week you continue to rip off people in business, or to show favoritism to people who have power and money, or if you you rip off not only your customers, but your employees. If you're at school and you're picking on the people who are down and out. If you're cheating on your tests. If you're cheating on your taxes. If you're cheating on your spouse. And what do you really understand about the justice of God in Jesus Christ? I understand why you would do all these things. It makes you feel good. You, you, you would really like the money that you earn from carrying out business in this way. You get more respect. You get more friends. I know the reasons. But what we're saying is that those reasons are utterly rejected. They're disgusting. They're ridiculous in the light of salvation in Jesus Christ. In the light of what Jesus Christ has done in the light of what God has done, is doing, and will do through His Son. The Almighty God exerted His justice, His wrath on His only beloved Son to set the world right with Him through that action. And then you're going to undermine that in your life by cheating, lying, stealing. By disobeying God's commands. God promises us a day when sin and abuse are going to be done with forever. There's going to be no more of that. But we're going to continue to stir it up now. In our own lives. No. Prophet Isaiah's words are true for us Today, in the light of all that God has done in Jesus Christ, maintain justice. Know God's commands. Live according to them. Love according to them. Look out for those who are down and out. Those are the ones that God cares for and lifts up. Promote righteousness in your own life, in your own heart. Promote righteousness in the life of your family in your business dealings, at school, in your neighborhood, in our city, across our country, in the world. It begins in our with ourselves, but it spreads throughout the whole world, brothers and sisters. Maintain justice and do what is right. Do righteousness and so participate in what God has done, is doing, and will do through His Son, Jesus Christ. Participate in the great work of righteousness that God has shown us in Jesus Christ, His Son.
We need to maintain true religion because of what God has done for us. We also need to maintain true worship. True worship in the light of the present salvation. For the Israelites to whom Isaiah's prophecy was coming, or came, there was a certainty of a, a coming salvation. That's what Isaiah says. God says, my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. And we know that that salvation ultimately came on the hill of Golgotha. As the Son of Man showed God's righteousness through His death and resurrection from the dead. But no matter where the children of God were, in Israel, in exile, or here now today, or what's going on around them, we can always engage in true and deep worship. There's not only the hope of future salvation, brothers and sisters, there is a blessedness in which we can live every day of our lives. You see, for the children of God who who were hearing this message from Isaiah, especially in the time of the exile, the blessings of covenant life, the blessings of life with the Lord were being stripped away or had been stripped away. Life in the promised land was blessed. That was the place to be. That was the good life. You could freely serve God. The temple was there. God poured down His blessings there. But in the exile, God took that all away. Removed His blessings. Land, free worship, safety, peace, a righteous king. But even as these blessings were stripped away, there was still a blessedness in which God's children could always live. There was a blessedness that they could always experience in their lives. Verse 2. Blessed is the man and the woman who does this. The man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who keeps his hand from doing evil. In the situation that was characterized by a complete, not complete, by a lack of many blessings, temporal earthly blessings, the child of God can still live in. Blessed is the man and the woman who does this. How can you be blessed? How can you be blessed? Are you experiencing the lack of earthly temporal blessings in your lives? Struggling against sin and misery? How can you be blessed? Blessed is the one who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who keeps his hand from doing evil. Notice that those two are related. It keeps his hand from doing evil further explains something about the Sabbath. The one who, who keeps the Sabbath keeps it by keeping their hand from doing evil, and that person is blessed. So we're commanded to keep the Sabbath. And we should say right off the the beginning that there's a wrong and a right way to understand the Sabbath command. You can understand the Sabbath command in terms of all don't do this, don't do that, make sure you do this, keep your hand from evil, make sure you rest, don't do this or that or this. So that it all becomes uh, the formal aspects without appreciating the substance of the command. The right way, however, is to recognize that it's all about thankful obedience to the grace of God given us in this command. 
And it's about participating in the substance of the Sabbath, which is resting in God's mighty work for our salvation. That's what the Sabbath was and is about for God's people. It's about resting in God's mighty work. God commands His people at all times to keep His Sabbath. We heard it this morning in the Ten Commandments. But here, notice that it's a special, especially in troubled times that God repeats and emphasizes this command. In troubled times, God says, keep the Sabbath, keep your hand from doing evil. In, in chapter 58, He says, don't do as you please. Don't go your own way. Uh, don't speak idle words. But keep the Sabbath in thankful obedience to God. Well, why? Why this command in troubled times for God's troubled people? Well, it's exactly because by keeping the Sabbath, you participate in the almighty and the mighty work of God's salvation, in the great work of salvation that God is doing in the world. In Isaiah chapter 58, which we read together, the prophet calls the Sabbath a delight. He says, your joy will be in the Lord when you keep it. And you'll, you'll feast on the inheritance given promise to your father Jacob. Well, where does your delight and your joy and this inheritance come from? Does it not come from the salvation promised in verse 1 of our text? Does it not come from resting and trusting in the sovereign plan of God to deliver His people from their sin, from their bondage. Just as He did when He delivered them out of Egypt. That's why, brothers and sisters, for the Israelites as well as for us, the Lord Jesus Christ is the substance and the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Is He not the one in whom we rest for our salvation? Is He not the one in whom we rest for our deliverance from sin and Satan and even ourselves? We delight in His work for us. We find joy in the Lord because of what He has done for us. We feast on the inheritance promised to Jacob because of what Jesus Christ has won for us. In our passage, the Lord directs us toward the blessedness of living in this, the present reality of God's salvation. And this is most realized on the Sabbath day on that one day of the week that the Lord has given to us, in which we might rest from our work, so that we might rest in God and in His grace. For the child of God to keep the Sabbath, to obey, to be blessed, to keep the Sabbath, is to actively engage in resting in God through Jesus Christ. It was like that even for the exiled Israelites so long before. That was the salvation. They were resting in what God would do for them. Every promise, every deliverance, every word in the Old Testament was focused on what Jesus Christ would do for them. And so for you, children of God, in troubled times, to keep the Sabbath is to escape from those troubled times, isn't it? To rest in God's salvation is to escape from the trouble and the misery all around you. To escape the sin, the misery, the trouble, 
the cursedness of life and to bask in God's righteousness, God's commitment to save His people. Now, we don't do it by coming here on Sunday, totally forgetting about the week behind, forgetting about what's going on around us, plugging our ears and closing our eyes and pretending that everything's all right. That's not resting in God's salvation. No. In the New Testament Sabbath, we bask in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf. That means on Sunday, we can come here and we can stare sin in the face. It means we can stand before the misery that swirls around us. It means we can stare down those tanks of injustice. Totally aware of what's going on. And trusting in the accomplished victory of Jesus Christ on our behalf. That is what it is to participate in the Sabbath rest of God. Blessed are you, brothers and sisters. You are blessed when you keep the Sabbath. Hold it fast. Don't let it go. Don't compromise. Submit to God's rule over your lives and to taking this day to rest in His great work of salvation. He has given us the Sabbath rest on the day of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we can continue to commune with Him, to draw from the wells of His salvation, to be filled with His victory. On this first day of the week, the day of Christ's resurrection, that which displays His victory to the world, and in this time of worship, we keep the Sabbath by submitting to God by obeying His commands to rest from our work, and most of all, by trusting in God's salvation for us. So when you're facing troubled times, in a world of sin and misery, do what's right. Maintain justice. Work out God's commands. Be tireless in your attack on sin, on crime, and on injustice. Work for the cause of the oppressed, the poor, the orphan, the widow, the abused, the bullied. Maintain an atmosphere of obedience to God, all the while resting in, trusting in, finding your hope and your blessedness in what God has done for us, and exerting His justice on His Son so that we might receive and live in the glory of His love. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.